0: So let's all turn in our Bibles uh, this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be uh, covering verses 9-15. to 15. I titled this morning's message, Men and Women in the Church. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this morning. Lord, and we just rejoice. Lord, in what You have accomplished. The work of the cross. The shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins, Lord, the promise that you've given us of eternal life and the resurrection, Lord, and we just rejoice in that, Lord, you did it all, and Father, we just pray as we look in your word this morning that you would speak your truth into our hearts, that we would have open hearts, that we would be ready to receive all that you want to speak, into our hearts this morning. And we thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The the emphasis uh, that Paul placed in his letter to Timothy in chapter 1 had to do with sound doctrine. And we see that actually as as a theme that really runs through the whole letter. But the emphasis that he made in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul told Timothy, charge some, charge some of the elders that are in the churches there in Ephesus that they teach no other doctrine. In verse 10, we read that Paul told Timothy to teach sound doctrine. And sound doctrine is really, we could simply put, it's just healthy teaching the teaching of God's Word. In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul calls this doctrine good doctrine. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul calls it God's doctrine. Doctrine that comes from God. It's real important for us as believers to hold to sound doctrine. That we would stay true to the Word of God. Paul then went on to say in chapter 2, he says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so Paul goes from doctrine to prayer. And these really, if you want to say, are two essentials for a healthy church good doctrine, and a praying church. We need to be people of God's Word. We need to be people of prayer. Those things are essential. Without one, you're lacking. Without the other, you're lacking. We need to know God's Word and we need to be people of prayer. But Paul specifically zeroed in on the men in the church. The leadership in the church. The men that should be leading and taking their role as men in the church, that they would be the ones leading in prayer. And quite often we find that it's the women that are leading in a lot of different ways. That's a sad state for the church to be in. It should be the men that are leading in these things because God has called them to that place of authority within the church. Paul addressed this good doctrine, but he also addressed prayer. Remember that a key verse in this letter is found in chapter 3, verse 15. Paul said, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Conducting ourselves in the house of God. First and 2 Timothy and Titus. These are three letters of Paul that really gives us that kind of instruction. The problem is, is that the church doesn't always follow that instruction. They do their own thing. And there's a lot of problems that arise within the church because we don't follow the pattern in which was laid down to us in the Word of God good doctrine, prayer, and also church order. How a church should conduct itself. How a church can be pleasing in the eyes of God. You see, this is God's house. It's not our house. It's not my house. It's God's house. And we come to this place as a body of believers to lift up God. To praise Him in His house. To pray to him in his house, to hear him speak to us from his word in his house. But how are we to conduct ourselves in the house of God? Conducting yourself literally could be put this way how it is necessary for us to behave. You know, how we tell our children, you need to behave. Well, there's many within the church that need to learn lessons on what it means to behave within the church of God. You see, our life and our character as Christians is displayed in this place, isn't it? Who we are as Christians when we come together into this place, it should be able to be seen that we're different people, that God is doing a work in our life. We're different from those that are on the outside that don't know Christ. It should be that way for all members, all true Christians in the body of Christ. Today in chapter 2, verse 9, we're going to be looking at the role of men and women in the church. And I believe that God has given specific roles to men and women. And when that order gets mixed up, when we get it backwards or we get it wrong, there's chaos. There's a lot of problems that arise from a church that is not holding true to the design that God has laid out. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.40, he said, let all things be done decently And in order. You see, God is a God of order. God does things right. And it's orderly. It's never out of order. It's never chaos. And if there's chaos and disorder, it's because of man's flesh. It's not because God has a problem. It's we have a problem. That word order actually in the Greek means... Is It's an arranging, an arranging or an arrangement to arrange or draw up order. That's what God's design is for the church. So let's take our Bibles and let's look at chapter 2, verse 9. And I want to read the text first and then I'm going to come back and comment on it. Verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man But to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And God was not, and Adam, excuse me, was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. We're in that portion of Scripture that we might say there's a couple of hot topics here. But see, I'm the one that has to stand here and address. Last week it was the men being the leaders in prayer within the church. And today it's the women. And speaking to the women about modest apparel. Hot topic. How would you like to be up here and also about women being silent. What's that mean? Another hot topic in the days that we're living in. In verse nine, looking back now at it, it starts, Paul starts by saying, in like manner also. And really, what that like manner also is, it's taking us back to verse eight, where Paul says, I desire therefore that men. Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He says, now in like manner that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Like the men in the church who are called to pray, the women are called to adorn themselves in modest apparel. What we see now is Paul putting the emphasis upon the women that are in the church. Let everything be done decently in order. In this area of Scripture... Probably most of us have wrestled with this, had discussions about this. There's different opinions about what modest apparel is amongst women. It's a hot topic. And these different opinions, they, they often uh, center around this one issue about what is modesty? What does modesty really look like? And does it change? Is it always constant? From the time Paul wrote this letter to today, has there been change in that? Modest apparel in the Greek is a word that means this. Decent and orderly. Well arranged. Modest. It's actually translated also good behavior or orderly. In the context, it's speaking of the appeal for Christian women to adorn themselves in such a way that is decent in an orderly fashion. Now you know how that topic goes because you know we quite often start going down the list of what we consider to be modest and non-modest. And by the way, this could be for men and women. Though I'm looking out amongst the men here, and I don't know that that's too much of an issue with men, but it typically falls upon the women when it comes to the issue of modesty. But I'm not going to get into this topic this morning just talking about you know how loose or how tight your tops should be. Or if you should have your... You know top buttoned up to the your neck, or whether or not you're allowed to have one button undone, you know, whether or not you should only be wearing dresses to church, or whether or not you can wear jeans or pants to church, whether or not you should wear anything strapless or not. I mean, we could go through all the the, the attire of dress and all of us would have different opinions on what we would consider, To be modest or not modest. I think that we can simplify all of this. We can keep it real simple. Paul doesn't get into the details here either, does he? He he simply talks about this modest apparel amongst women without getting into all the details of what that actually looks like. He does talk about the gold and the silver and the braiding of hair and the jewelry and things that that appear to be flashy. But he's not getting into all the details that come along with what women might wear. But it does, and it does tell us here, that women are to be modest. Now, we're not talking about just in the church. We're talking about a godly woman should be that way outside of the church. There should be modesty in dress. And there's obvious reasons why. Not only is it a reflection of you as a godly woman, but you can also be instruments that the enemy can use to stumble other people. And so, modesty is an important issue. In verse 9, The women should adorn themselves in modest apparel with, he says, propriety and moderation. There are a number of reasons why Paul would have felt it necessary at this time in church history to write about modest apparel in the early church. We know that in the city of Ephesus that it was a wealthy city. We know that there was probably in that wealth, fine clothing that women would have had access to, been able to buy. They could have just come to church or come to that those gatherings really dressed very well. There was, a, I believe, a temptation within the early church for a lot of these women to adorn themselves with apparel that would in a sense, be very flashy when they came into church. Having their hair all braided out with pearls and silver and gold. And they were really, in a sense, mimicking what was going on in the world out there, but bringing it into the house of God and it was becoming something that was attracting attention to themselves. You see, attracting attention to ourselves in our dress whether that's a man or a woman, should never be something that we do in the house of God. We shouldn't do it any place. But in the house of God, it should be a place where people's attention is directed towards God. Not towards me, not towards you and how we would dress and present ourselves amongst one another. But let me make a note here. Paul is not saying and this is what I believe, that women should not wear makeup. Paul is not saying here, it doesn't tell you that in your Bible, that women should not style their hair. I'm glad you do, ladies. You style your hair. He's not saying that here. He's not even saying that you shouldn't have any nice clothing that you would wear. You know, uh, I feel sorry for the women and, and I feel sorry for you because I know I have three daughters. I raised three daughters. I know the pressures that are out in this world that are the demands that are upon women to look a certain way. And there's a danger for women to, to want to come across being appealing to their husbands or just, being, if they're single, being appealing, and then they find themselves falling trapped to those things that we might call unmodest in their dress. Paul is talking here really not so much about the specifics as he is about the excess. The excess ways in which people would come into the house of God And try to display their their beauty or get that attention or get that attraction from other people. Maybe even sometimes for the reason of feeling important within the church. You see, a woman coming in dressed like that would give this appearance that she's somebody maybe of some importance. And so Paul and Timothy and the early church, they dealt with their issues. We live in a world, don't we? We live in a time in a frame, time frame in, in church history where their modesty is out the door. And the, and the church has even fallen trapped to bring in the world and, the, and, the, and the, the things of this world into the church. And it's affected the modesty that is even within the church. I said that. I believe that there's a simple way for us to answer this question. I believe that it's found in 1 Peter, if you want to turn there, chapter 3, verse 3. Peter wrote this. He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god that answers it doesn't it right there i mean we we it, it, for you women You don't need to sit and wrestle with the issues of modesty if your objective is that I want to be pleasing in the eyes of God. I'm more concerned with my inside, my heart, than I am with my outside beauty. I want to be a beautiful woman on the inside. How many of us as husbands were attracted to our our wife because of that inner beauty? Hopefully we are attracted because of outer beauty too. I was. But that inner beauty is important. As a matter of fact, it's of utmost importance. That there would be that inner beauty within the heart. That incorruptible beauty. What's that mean? Well, ladies and men, we're all growing old. We're all changing. But it's, it's interesting how we maintain that beauty on the inside. It grows. It doesn't change. But the outside can change up, can it? But you're still a beautiful person. I think that's all you need to know, ladies. You don't need to sit and debate whether or not you think something's modest or not modest. You know, how long the dress should be. Should it be, you know, two inches below the knee, or is it okay to have it two inches above the knee? Is it, you know, how many buttons can you have on the front of your blouse? I mean, the debate goes on and on. I mean, you wouldn't want to see me running down to the beach in a suit and tie going into the ocean. It's an uh, inappropriate attire for the beach. But we go down to the beach and we put a swimsuit on, but what do we do when it comes to being modest? What's an inappropriate, inappropriate dress or, you know what I mean? What gets answered and how that gets answered is between your heart and God. It's not me debating with you what I think is or isn't. I think that if we are most concerned with our heart and our inward beauty and what God thinks, it will affect your outward and what you do. So what is this modest apparel that Paul was speaking of in his day? In Paul's day, the female was used quite often in the heathen religious practices. Uh, Again, these were temples that were in many of the major cities. I already shared in the introduction to to this letter that there was the temple of Diana in the city of Ephesus. There was also the worship of, of Aphrodite who was the goddess of love and fertility that was located in the city of Corinth just across the sea. And in both of these places, there was this immoral religious cults that practiced within these temples. As a matter of fact, the worship of Aphrodite, this goddess of love, it was actually known to have had a thousand vestal virgins who were in that temple, who prostituted themselves in the name of their God. That was the kind of culture in the time where Christians were living in a city with all of that going on. And they would adorn themselves in the name of their religion and go into their temples. And you even had the women falling trapped to falling into that same type of way of adorning themselves in ways that were not... Fitting for a godly woman, and it was also bringing attention to themselves. Some of the women of the day, they were fashioning their hair. They would weave their hair. They would fasten ribbons into it and and bows, and they would interweave it with gold and silver and pearl. I mean, they would come into they would be looking like you know, wow. You know, it like just think of one of you ladies walking in, just decked out like that, and everybody's going, "Wow, look at that!" That—that's what we don't want to do in the house of God, making it almost impossible for there to be an, a, a distraction in the house of God. That's why here at Calvary Chapel we don't do anything. We try not to do anything that would take away from lifting God up to His rightful place. In our worship, in the way we dress, we don't stand up and just move around the room while worship is going on or while teaching is going on. We're not speaking out. And you know, when churches that do that, then I mean, there's all kinds of chaos, commotion going on. Let everything be done decently and in order. Why? Because we want, to, we want to be focusing on the Lord. The other question we might ask when it comes to this issue of modesty, is there a universal standard of modesty for everyone for all time and in every culture? You know, there are denominations today. Today that have existed all through church history. Denominations that say that women shouldn't wear makeup. Women shouldn't wear jewelry. Women shouldn't wear pants to church. You look at church history and you see all the way through these types of things have been through church and still are today. And when they look at you women that come here with jeans on, man, man, pagan women. There was a theologian by the name of Clement of Alexandria. He was located in Alexandria there and in A.D. 195. This is what he said about modesty in women. Let the woman observe this. Further, let her be entirely covered. And I can only imagine what that looks like. Entirely, probably not showing even your arms, anything. Entirely covered. Unless she happens to be at home. For that style of dress is grave. And it protects from being gazed at. And she will never fall. Who puts before her eyes modesty and her shawl. Nor shall she invite anyone to fall into sin by uncovering her face. For this is the wish of the word speaking of the Word of God, since it is becoming for her to pray veiled, that was what his perception of a woman living in modesty should look like. By that standard, you're all in sin. Ladies, we've got a, a lot going on here. But again, that standard through time and history and culture does change if we stick to that rule of Peter, if you're most concerned with the the godliness of your heart and the intents of your heart, and not wanting to draw attention to yourself, then you're going to stay away from those things that we might call a modest apparel. Different times, different cultures play a part in what people's thinking is about modesty with that said without trying to make a compromise for the day and age we're living in there is in fact the danger that we live in today of being unmodest in the church there is that danger you mean go find a church down at the beach where people live down at the beach they come to church you know they got their Shorts on. They're going to be heading out to the beach, right? You know, and they're sitting in, certain And you know, they're heading out. I mean, there's a lot of things uh, of areas that people have to deal with. This area that we might call attention getters or things that you know within the church. I believe that biblical modesty is much more than just a dress code. Do you understand that? It's much more than just coming up with a list of what is acceptable and what is not. It's not just a dress code that we write out. We don't have one here at the church, by the way. We don't have a dress code. But but what I am believing is as we teach through the Word of God and we look at these things, that God by His Spirit works in the women. And I'll say within the men in these areas. Paul in verse 9 gives us two words that help explain what modest apparel is. He says propriety and moderation. Now the King James translation uses the word for propriety. It uses the word shamefacedness. Which literally means this. Modesty, it's the avoidance of extremes. That's what we're talking about. It's the avoidance of extremes. A woman who possesses this quality is one who is ashamed to go beyond the bounds of what is decent and proper within the house of God. Propriety asks the question, is my dress or how I dress appropriate for the occasion? For the woman, propriety includes modesty in dress and also submission. And I would say that this could apply to men also. You know, if you want to come in here with your you know workout shirt on and you know you got it cut up to here, you know, I don't I don't think you want to do that. You'll probably get laughed at, but sometimes men do some oddball things too. The Greek word for shamefacedness means a sense of shame, uh, honor, modesty. It, it also means bashfulness. To be bashful, it's reverence in regards for others and, and respect for others. In other words, you come to the How's it? I mean, guy, I feel a little bit of shame the way I'm dressed today. You know, that should, uh, you know. Now, how about if you have somebody that comes and they're brand new in the Lord and they're not even thinking anything of it? We don't shun people like that. Somebody comes walking in and you go, wow, that's a little inappropriate. Welcome to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. You know, it's not a thing of just looking at that individual, analyzing the clothes, and, and, and trying to judge the heart. Those things change as God changes people's hearts. So, it's important for us as Christians not to go too far into this. I, I know, as a parent of three daughters, the importance of raising daughters to, to understand modesty and to do that. And so, that's an important issue, but we have to keep it in perspective. Propriety in dress does not necessarily forbid women to wear gold, to have pearls on, or that it would that they couldn't wear makeup, they couldn't, you know, but it's propriety is putting your energies into your inner beauty. That's what Paul is speaking of here. Let me start by saying that the Holy Spirit He was leading Paul to write what he wrote here. The modesty within the church was an issue in Paul's day. It's an issue today. It always has been. It's why the Word of God addresses it. It's taken on different forms throughout church history. But it was an issue. Probably not the same way that we might see it today in our culture in our time. So what is appropriate Apparel for church. I think that we can simply and safely say that when a woman comes into the house of God, it should be appropriate for the occasion. I'm going to just leave it at that. Appropriate for being here. They should avoid extremes. They should avoid becoming a distraction to others by the way that they're dressed. You know, you come in if you're scantily dressed. I mean, it's probably going to, wow, okay. You know, I mean, it it draws attention. And so having reverence and respect for God and reverence and respect for others is what would keep a woman and keep them in a place where they would say, you know what, I don't want to do anything that would offend anyone in the house of God. Nor should it be outside of the house of God. The other word that Paul uses here is the word moderation. Now, moderation asks the question is my apparel moderate? Or is it too much? Or is it too little? Moderation, in a sense, looks for the middle ground. It's looking for, you know, it's not you women having to come in with, you know, up to here and no, you know, but it's being moderate in your dress. That's all we're talking about. So let's not take it to an extreme, and I don't think we are, but let's not, we don't take it to an extreme. To braid your hair with gold and pearls or costly clothing is what Paul describes it as. He's just talking about coming in like a showboat into church. Paul is saying here that we should have, not women should not be inappropriately drawing attention to themselves, but use moderation. Verse 10 says, but which is proper for women professing godliness. With good works. You see, this this should be characteristic of godliness. Paul is describing, in a sense here, that inner self-control that we should have or that women should have that we might call we might even call it like that spiritual radar you know that spiritual radar in a woman that says you know what that's good or that's improper i mean there are times where things are improper and women are typically the ones that really pick up on it. hopefully it's not the men but it's the women they they do pick up on it Sometimes women, though, in their immaturity, they might come in, in an immodest way. And we have a responsibility as a church to disciple, to help, to, you know, not to condemn, not to, you know, to help. I remember a pastor telling a story of a woman that would come into the church and would always sit in the front row with a short dress on. And she would always sit in the same row and, you know, very distracting for the pastor standing up there teaching. And, and he was very gracious, and I think that he did this in the right way. He Basically what he did is he had his wife on one Sunday go and sit next to this woman. And then just whisper into her ear something and take a sweater and kind of lay it over her legs. Very gracious. And I don't remember if the woman left the church after that or if she just decided, you know what, maybe I'm doing something wrong here and changed. But it was a woman helping another woman in that area and doing it in a very gracious way. I've had somebody leave the church. I've had a couple leave the church because they saw somebody walking into the church that they didn't believe was appropriate. And the person that was coming into the church, it was their very first time coming into this place. And they left because of that. That's inappropriate. That's not what we're looking for. Paul's exhortation here might be put this way. Ladies focus on the inner person more than the outer person your emphasis on modesty it shows your holy character it will show that when paul says with good works he's not talking about salvation here but he's contrasting it between what we might call the cheapness of expensive clothing And jewelry, and just parading compared to godly character. Those good works. Now look at verse 11. Another, did you read ahead? Another hot topic. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. But be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. I mean, does that make your blood boil a little bit, lady? You go, man, what is it saying here? What's Paul saying? People have accused Paul of being some kind of a chauvinist man, you know, like, was he writing that? But these verses, really, here that we're reading, are speaking about church order. It's about having a respect for authority within the church. God has, He's a God of order, He's a God that has placed men and women in, in play, uh, uh, places of authority. But today, within the church, there's a lot of even wrangling, if you want to say, within the church and confusion in the church about women's rights. We live in a culture, we live in a day where women's lib and the feminist movements and all the the various issues that even creep within the church. Why can't women be pastors? Why can't they get up there? You know what I mean. And some of you might listen to some women pastors. I don't know if you do or not. If you do, it doesn't mean that you couldn't receive something. There's a lot of women that are great teachers. They can get up there and teach the Word of God as well as any man. But just because you receive from that and it ministers to your heart doesn't necessarily mean they're being biblical in standing behind the pulpit as a pastor. Why? Because God has set up an order within the church. That's my belief. That's what I believe Paul is saying here. I hope nobody leaves from today. <laughs> you know, this is not a male-dominant church. You know, This is a men and women are equal in this body. It's just simply that God has placed things in a particular order. And if we practice the things the way that God has designed them to be, it works well. And when you get that out of order, it doesn't work well. Some have said throughout church history, it's been practiced this way that women shouldn't speak at all in the church. They shouldn't have a place to have a voice in the church. But the Bible doesn't say that. This is what's important, church. The Bible doesn't say that. Or that women should, women should only speak through their husbands in the church. The Bible doesn't say that either. And so, to keep things biblical, you got to go to your Bible. It can't be just something, well, you know, I, you take a Scripture out of context and you say, well, I don't think women should even be speaking like what we're reading here in the church. It's unbiblical in what they're doing. And this passage that we're reading even now has been misused, it's been abused within the church. Men, even in your homes, even in your homes, you have to get this right, man. Within the church, you need to get it right. In your home, you need to get it right. It's unbiblical to have this dominance where your wife needs to be in submission to you and can't speak. We need to get that right. And the reason why it's important you get it right is because one day you're going to stand before your God. God. And you're going to give an account of of how you minister to your spouse. This passage is not saying that women are forbidden to speak in church meetings. We have our midweek service that we have here. I sometimes have given a microphone to the women sitting out there, and they're giving testimony of what God has done to men and women that are sitting here in the church. It's not that women can't speak in the church. We're not talking about that. They give testimony. They teach our children. Now, they teach women's studies. They're, the gift of teaching is for men and it's the gift of teaching is for women also. God gives it to both. And many women are just as good as men at teaching. Probably better. But... This word silence here is also translated peaceable in chapter 2, verse 2, which speaks of more of that the woman should be learning without contention. Learning without contention. It's not talking uh, or speaking about learning in total silence, like the women can't speak up or can't speak. But it's learning without contention. It's speaking about submission instead of having contentions with others as women in the church. It was common practice in the day for a man to stand in an assembly and address those that were gathered there and sometimes they would bring up contentions. And men would quite often do that. What Paul is saying to the women and the order in which God says within the assembly is that the women wouldn't stand to bring about contentions and speaking out in the same way in the authority that a man would in the church. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, it says. And this, I believe, is speaking of in the public service in a in a place of worship submission is the principle to learn in silence describes the application of the principle to learn in silence submission means to be under rank that's what submission is ladies to be under rank it has it has to do with respecting and acknowledging an order of authority So you come into the church and you understand that God has a certain order of authority within the church. It's coming under that rank and being okay with it because that's how God designed it. The pastor and commentator Warren Worsby writes, anyone who has served in the armed forces knows that rank has to do with order and authority. Not with value and ability, so never, never get that wrong, or never get that backward to think that it has any. This submission has anything to do with the woman's value or her ability to actually do something and do it well in the way of speaking. He goes on to say, just as an army would be in confusion if there was no levels of authority, so society would be in chaos without submission. And we know that submission is part of life. We live with it all the time. We're not talking about men being more spiritual than women. As a matter of fact, I I, I see many times that the women are more spiritual than the men. That's to our shame, men that women could actually be more in a place of a spiritual sense than we are. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, a church that was having a lot of problems in the way of order and submission. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.5, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one in the same as, as if her head were shaved." Again, Paul is dealing with issues and problems within the church in the city of Corinth in regards to women and the order and the submission that was happening there within the church. We often find with any topic of Scripture that there's extreme views on both sides of it there's always extreme that's that's the whole thing that we should be trying to do as Christians find the middle ground find the balance don't get into the extreme on this side or this side first timothy chapter 2 verse 11 to 15 our text this morning a man by the name of Vance Havner quoted, or, or commented on these verses this way. A good woman is the best thing on earth. Women were last at the cross and first at the opening of the tomb. The church owes a debt to her, fa- to her faithful women which he can never estimate to say nothing of the debt we owe in our homes to godly wives and mothers. God has an order. God has set all of these things in place. And if we follow them, they work well. But there are some churches that they don't even let their their women serve in any capacity except in the kitchen. Or maybe serving in the nursery. That's an extreme. They don't let them do anything. That's not this church, by the way. And many of you women know that because I'm asking you to serve in capacities all the time. That's not biblical. But there are churches that do it. I believe that women can serve and be used in really every area of ministry. Almost every area within the church with the exception of the role of a pastor teacher, you know, I, I we could have uh, uh, women ushering here. We could have. Uh, I believe that it, we could even be biblical to say we have women deaconist. I I don't think that the, you know, women women can do any really any capacity. With the exception of being a pastor teacher and usurping authority over the men in the teaching aspect of it. Not that they're less, but just in that role. But the gift of teaching is, like I've already said, is not just for men. Women have that gift, and they exercise that gift within the body of Christ. Verse 12 says, and do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And so our culture today That is quite often anti woman and degrading to women. You know, we we see that happen. You know, keeping a woman silent, that's ungodly. That's not what God is saying, that's not what His Word says. It has nothing to do with men being superior. And churches that come across that way or leaders that would come across that way, they're wrong. It has to do only with the authority by which God has given between men and women within the body of Christ. We need to know that God is the One that designed it. If God designed it, then are you alright with it? I guess that's the question. You have. If God says, you know what? This is the way I put it all together. Are you okay with it? If you go, I don't like that then you have to wrestle with God. I don't, I don't like His order. I don't like that way. I mean, I, I want to be a pastor. I've, I've been planning to be a pastor my whole life. Talking as a woman. I'm not a woman, but talking as a woman. That to me is not biblical either. Again, in 1 Corinthians 14.40, let all things be done decently in order. That's the kind of God... That he is. Verse 12 Do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And then he goes on to give us really an example of what he's talking about. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Do you see God's design there? God's design and God's order. He formed Adam first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. If a woman tries to take the lead and the authority within the church over a man, things get messed up. In the garden, we're told that Eve was deceived by Satan, but it says, but Adam was not deceived. So you think, well, what is it? is are women just they get deceived more than men? No, we can be deceived just as easily as a woman can. It doesn't mean that women are deceived more easily. Adam, he should have been the one leading. Adam should have been the one in the lead. And Eve should have been the one that was letting her husband lead. That's where it went wrong. When a woman or a man and a woman steps outside of God's design and plan, chaos happens. It happens in marriage all the time. Husbands are supposed to lead. They're supposed to to take their role as a spiritual leader in their homes seriously. And the wives are to let their husbands lead. That's a problem, also, ladies. Not letting your husband lead, not letting him be the spiritual leader. I'm going to say something that and give you some counsel because I don't know every marriage here and how that all looks like on a day-in and day-out basis. But if your husband is not being the spiritual leader in your home, he's not being the leader that God has called him to be, and you feel the need as a woman that you have to take on that role, I need to do it because he won't, then this is the kind of counsel that I would, that I would give to you. I would let him stumble and fall and wrestle and have a hard time. I would let him do that so that maybe he'll cry out to God and go to God and God says, you know, I need to take the lead in this thing because quite often men are will willing to let their wife be the spiritual leader. Let them be the lead in the home. Let them raise the children and teach all the things. Let them do and, and God says, "You're not being the spiritual leader that I've called you to be." takes some faith, doesn't it, women? To let your husband kind of stumble around because he's not taking that lead. He's making wrong decisions. And you feeling like you have to take the lead in everything. And when you do that, and you take that lead and that authority away from... And I'm talking about if this is a, uh, a couple that are Christians. Some of you are not Christian. They're, they're not even thinking about this. But when you're a believer and you know your calling in your marriage upon each one of your life, then we have to do it God's way. And we need to say, God, forgive me for not being that leader, that spiritual leader in my home. We're running out of time. In Genesis. 3, one, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, God has indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And then in Genesis 3.16, to the woman God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And women to this very day, going all the way back to the fall, they don't like that fact. The man ruling and having authority over me. That leadership role. That place of authority within the home. But if we don't follow, it's part of the curse, ladies. It's part of the curse. Adam, what he did wrong, Is he obeyed Eve instead of obeying God. He he, he listened to what his wife was saying instead of listening to what God is saying and taking that leadership role. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. And it's because he was rejecting the order that God had given to them. Adam should have taken that lead. And then we read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as one man Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Notice it doesn't say Eve. Sin entered into the world through Adam. He's the one that should have and didn't. And death spread to all men, and for that all have sinned. We'll close in verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. That one is a little bit of a stump, kind of a verse. You read then, what are you talking about here? She will be saved in childbearing. Any of you ladies, were you saved when you gave birth? Did your salvation come through childbearing? I don't I don't think it's saying that, is it? That's that's not biblical. But what is obvious from Scripture is that women have a role. Women have a particular place that God has placed them in. And I I believe that the interpretation of this Scripture that makes the most sense to me is that the ministry of women... Was not to run the church in the context of what we're reading here. It wasn't for the women to run the church, but to care for the home and to bear children to the glory of God. God had a role and a place. Doesn't mean women don't serve and have any places in it. Yes, they do. But I believe that they shall be saved in child. The other interpretation of that, by the way, which doesn't make as much sense to me, is that through the woman, the Messiah would come that would be the Savior of the world. But it makes more in context to me sense that it's speaking here of women not trying to take positions within the church and run in things within the church, that are not places for them to be. It's important also to note that teaching, and one example is in this letter here because Paul was really thanking and commending Timothy's, speaking about his mother and his grandmother that actually taught Timothy from a a child up the Holy Scriptures. Here's a woman in the home. Here's, a, here's a, a grandmother and a woman, a mother in a home, teaching and rearing up Timothy in the ways of the Lord. And look at the benefit. Look at the role that God has given. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, Thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.